This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You're listening to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them or not. I am Kristen LaBianca, and I'm flying solo today, but I'm here very excited to chat with Rachel Housel Hall. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Yes, very excited to chat with you here. We share an agent in Jill Marshall, who's absolutely wonderful. Jill is wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> Jill. sing her praises enough. <laughs> Um, Rachel is the author of the acclaimed Lou Norton series and co-author of The Good Sister with James Patterson, which appeared in New York Times bestselling anthology The Family Lawyer. Currently, she serves on the board of directors for the Mystery Writers of America, is a member of Sisters in Crime, and has participated as a mentor in the Association of Writers and Writing Programs Writer to Writer Program. And she lives in Los Angeles. Now, Rachel, have you always lived in Southern California? Yes, I am a native here. I went away for four years to UC Santa Cruz, right up the coast, but I came right back because although, you know, Los Angeles has the big city problems and the traffic and it's expensive, there's nothing like this place. Yesterday, I took a picture on my and put it on my Instagram of our uh, first orange blossoms on our orange tree in our courtyard coming oh. out and it just smells so wonderful and you know being at the LA Galaxy game last night and seeing the sunset and just there's nothing like this place it's so chill and it's so diverse and I love it that is wonderful so I'm in the Midwest I'm in Columbus Ohio um, our co host lane is in chicago and wendy is also out there in the la area and we always have very interesting conversations with wendy about how she like doesn't understand cold weather or no. winter related things oh my goodness i went to minnesota uh was it 2017 in november and it was 11 degrees and i was with um writer chrissy belcamino and we got it we walked to her uh, minivan and she couldn't put her key into the <laughs> lock and she's like it's frozen and I'm like well what what the hell does that mean how, how do you get it unfrozen and she, you know you have a little spray and all that yeah. it's like I don't get it and I also didn't get how it could be 11 degrees and not snow <laughs> yeah there's all kinds of mysteries in terms yeah. of the weather when it gets cold although you know a few weeks ago in parts of Los Angeles we had a weird weather cell and it snowed in parts of Los Angeles County. And that really? was, it was a little scary. It was apocalyptic. It was like the movie, um, what movie was that with Jake Gyllenhaal, where the day after tomorrow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like that. It was very strange. And now we have um, butterflies, butterflies everywhere coming from Mexico 
and oh, going up to Canada. So we've had all kinds of things in Los Angeles. And just one more reason why I love it. Yeah, we don't have any butterflies or any signs of spring at all here yet. Um, it's very much still winter, technically, it seems. But, you know, whatever. Soon enough, it'll be spring for like one day and then it'll be <laughs> summer. Just <laughs> how it goes here. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, but that's fun. You know, weather is weather. So let's talk about your amazing new book, which this episode will be airing on April 17th. So your book's been out for... Um, about a week at this point Um, they all fall down and if if our listeners haven't checked it out yet you need to this book is amazing so Rachel tell us about it yeah they all fall down is uh, basically it's a locker room mystery but it's on a Mexican island and seven sinners are taken to this island under false pretenses and one by one their sins are revealed and bad things happen so that's Without much many spoilers, that's that's it. And yes, yeah. And you know, there's there's seven unlikable people. <laughs> so it's perfect for this podcast. <laughs> it's perfect, and um, it's told from the point of, of view from an um, African American woman from Los Angeles. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I really enjoyed writing this story. It is unlike other stories I've I've, I've written before. Yes, it's definitely all about people sort of leaning into their worst impulses, which has to be fun to write. Yeah. Uh, and it's also, you know, sort of a, a modern update to a book like And Then There Were None. Um, did you set out to write like a modern locked room mystery or did it just sort of evolve that way? It sort of evolved that way. Um, I am a child of the church, so I've grown up with sin and consequences my entire life. And so that kind of you do this thing, you get punished for it, has always been a part of me. Um, it wasn't until uh, I saw the movie Seven a while back and Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are chasing a serial killer and, who is killing people by according to their sins. And that was just fascinating to me. And I thought about that as well as um, Dante's The Inferno. I'm an English American lit major, so every lit major has to read that story. Right. And so all of it kind of just swirled in my mind for a while. And it wasn't until I think it was the second date with my husband and he cooked me dinner and we watched uh, Murder by Death, the Neil Simon film. Yes. And I knew about, you know, that it was satire and tropey on Agatha Christie, but I didn't understand it until I read and then there were none. So I had that story, which, you know, Dame Christie takes, uh, I think it was 10 people to an island off the coast of Britain and she killed them off one by one. And it was more of a, it was class driven in many ways. So I had that story, seven uh, regular Bible teachings and Dante's Inferno in my head. And you know, what do all writers do? We think of a story and try and figure out how to write that. And for a long time, I didn't know how to write that story. It wasn't until um, there was a break in between publications of my second and third Lou Norton novel that I had a chance to actually kind of concentrate on figuring out what this story was. And so that's when I attempted it and started writing it and loved it. And, you know, she is not, Miriam, the lead character, is nothing like Lou Norton. I mean, she's a black woman who's grown up in Los Angeles 
But Lewis, you know, is noble. She's noble and she's try hard and she's a good person. Miriam is also try hard, but she has some issues. I mean, I, I Miriam's main problem, she's a creative. Miriam is a creative and she's also an alarmist and she also doesn't like being spited and uh, talked about and discarded. And that's been her life. Right. And so she strikes out, whereas Lou wouldn't strike out that way. So it was different writing a character who is not uh, upstanding in some ways. Yes, I can imagine that that was probably both fun and also terrifying to sort of step into the shoes of someone like that. Yeah, and I didn't want to make her unlikable for the sake of being unlikable. I wanted her to be uh, yet another fully realized woman who has issues and is angry. And in the book, she's um, divorced. She's had a breakdown and she, you know, she's been replaced and she reacts to that as a lot of women would. Um, she's a liar, yeah. Mm-hmm. But she's also trying to get attention from those that she loves. She uh, is no longer in the house that she helped create. She long, no longer has the husband who she helped put through dental school. Her daughter is now being raised by her daughter's dance teacher. So she's pissed off. And yes. so... Yeah, so her way of dealing with things may not be the right way, but I think they are the most understandable way. And I also didn't want to make it so that her pathology is driven by substance abuse. Mm. Um, She may pop a Valium, but she isn't relying on that to be unlikable. She's unlikable, drugged and not. You know what I mean? Yeah, there is kind of a strange trend in mysteries and thrillers where a character's unlikability or particularly their unreliability will come exclusively from substance abuse, which is like um, is a little bit lazy in terms of storytelling. Yeah. And I was really I I even said it in uh, a scene where she didn't want to be a British boozy heroine. (laughs) Yeah, because I that's just seems so easy there are plenty of people who you don't like and they're totally sober you know yes look look around the world right now and none of them have had anything to drink and it's like well what is that thing that makes you so despicable and unlikable so I wanted her to be unlikable on a on a scale that I think many women would get you know she's dealing with um her daughters being bullied at school uh again she's recently divorced there are a lot, those are things that pull out the worst in you. And that's who she is at this point, you know? Yeah, and she's even her daughter's in a, bad yeah, place. in a bad place. She's in a bad place. And her daughter says that she wants it how it used to be. And it used to be that Miriam was pretty reasonable. She probably, she did have some of those bad qualities, but they were all, you know, f- not fixable, but you could tolerate it. And it isn't until later in life, dealing with um, her child, that she becomes a little unrational. And you know, children will make you unra- <laughs> Children will make you unrational. Yeah, 
And I think, like, we talk a lot on this podcast about how the word unlikable is so often used as sort of code for complicated. Yeah. You know, women who are complicated get labeled unlikable, whereas men who are complicated are brooding or whatever. Right, right. And there's some jazz playing softly in the background. Exactly, as they stare, you know, meaningfully out the window. Right, with whiskey or scotch, the age of, you know, their daughter or something like that. Women don't get that (laughs) same type of thing. And black women writers, especially we don't have the luxury, really, of creating those types of characters. I mean, Jillian and Megan um, have both made, you know, great, rememberable, unlikable characters. But black women writers, we're just, we're so behind that we can't really do that yet. We're just trying to get people to like our characters and like our writing, period. Right, you're you're just trying to get readers to read a story that contains a black protagonist right and it also goes back you know culturally growing up you know especially being maybe the only black person at work or black person in your classroom you can't be unlikable you 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 know you you, your your ancestors have put you in that room and the last thing you want to do you know is to have people pissed off at you because they don't think you belong there anyway and so with writing you want to bring people in, you know, you don't want to turn them away. You don't want them to put down the book. So you spend a lot of time making these characters that people love. Everybody loves Easy Rollins, right. you know? Yes. Everybody loves, you know, the character, the, the few black characters that have transcended race, the, uh, how Stella got her groove back. Everybody loves mm-hmm. that character because they relate in some ways to that. I was doing some research on, you know, unlikable characters, both on film and in literature. And I didn't see maybe more than three or four characters that were were black in those lists. Like looking at at, um, lists of unlikable characters for TV. Mm -hmm. And it was maybe 50 characters that this article um, uh, named. And not one of them were black characters. Because we can't be that yet you know right and you probably have to like keep in mind like a a black woman who becomes angry runs the risk of being oh, labeled sweetheart. as angry, angry black, black woman. woman right whereas right. like a white character can be angry and she's just angry it's not you know a thing and that's really that's really messed up of course um and so it makes sense that in terms of the characters that you write like you're still trying to just get those books in front of readers let alone be able to explore all of the many complications that make a a a character as complex and occasionally unlikable as they can be right and it's going to be interesting how um uh readers especially women readers will fall on the line of is she unlikable and knowable or is she just unlikable unlikable and you know i always remember that lou is a very likable person but there are people who didn't like her so i'm like (laughs) well i might as well do what i gotta do because people there are some readers who didn't like her right and there you go you know it's so subjective in in so many ways and it really is yeah. yeah and you know the few readers that have read like advanced readers copies they most women like her like miriam and understand miriam and are you know they're they're in the room with her and they get it and you know so far there have been a few who are like i just don't like these characters and it's like well uh i tell you that seven sinners are going to an island (laughs) 
<laughs> right. So if like if if you don't like reading books that have sort of bad people or people behaving badly, that maybe it's not this the one not, for you. This is not the one for you. Yeah. And you know, when I read and then there were none, I didn't like any of those characters. And I think that's the point. I mean Right. I, I look at this I looked at this um story as kind of casting a reality TV show. And mm. A lot of those characters on The Bachelorette and Survivor and a lot of that, I don't like, I don't watch a lot of reality TV show any, anymore because I just don't like the characters. You know, it's not because they're um, organically unlikable, but I think they're being cast as that. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of this artificial unlikability. Yes. Whereas, you know, just regular life, you don't you don't or even in some good writing you don't like that character because she was written explicitly to kind of rankle you for instance cersei in game of thrones mm -hmm. she's unlikable but you can't pull your eyes away from her because right. of the writing and because of the actress and you know she's not tropey with her evilness she's right. i mean it's, she's just this fully realized character that you feel awful for but you're wondering in this next season who's gonna kill her <laughs> you know? yeah there's like a it's a very like nuanced art to create the right type of unlikable character because there are characters who can be like unlikable in an obnoxious way like an obnoxious annoying person like that's that's different from like this deep complex person who has like bad impulses or there's you can like have there's a reason that they are the way they are as opposed to just like comic book villain type of right unlikable. mustache twirling exactly. and i think i think tv shows have the luxury of doing that over a course of a season whereas writers we have this one book and you may have a series but you have this one book to kind of make this rich character and it's kind of hard to do in 80 to 90,000 words, you know, in, in this course, but you know, you try your best. And I certainly tried my best with, with, with Miriam and the bunch of them on the island. So Rachel, tell us about the other unlikable characters, the un other unlikable women who are in this book, other than the protagonist, Miriam. Um, I would say there on the island, at least there are two other women and I won't say much about um, what they're there for, but I will say that they embody w uh, a few of the deadly sins. So, you know, the deadly sins are what? Envy, greed, pride, sloth, lust, um, uh, what's the, gluttony, and I think that was all of them. So they're unlike the, the the two other women on the island are unlikable for one of those uh, for one of those sins, but back home on the mainland, I would say um, the ex-wife is unlikable simply because she's younger, prettier, and is married to Miriam's husband, mm -hmm. and she's also she also knows uh, how Miriam is manipulating her ex-husband and her daughter. Um, in ways that she shouldn't so she's unlikable ashley her name is ashley is unlikable for this the sake of her being there and also for keeping a a, a dirty house <laughs> as <laughs> as miriam notes um i would also say that the teenage women who are bullying 
uh, Miriam's daughter, Morgan, they're unlikable too, simply because, you know, they are actually, they are bad women. They're bad young women. They are bullies. They do have some white supremacist leanings. Um, in some ways, you know, what happens with them, I, I at least one of them, I kind of fully 100% endorse, which <laughs> makes it, but it, well, let me back up. Uh, not necessarily how she gets her comeuppance, but that she gets a comeuppance, I'm all for. Yeah, she does deserve it. Yeah. yeah. So I would say, you know, and that's the weird thing that in life, just as in art, anyone can see you as unlikable. I saw a quote or someone said something a few weeks ago that I liked that all the people that you meet have different images and experience with you, the person that they meet at that one time. So there are like hundreds of versions of you out there. Mm -hmm. And there are versions that people don't like. Like, you know, there's a woman who you cut off on the freeway and she hates you and she doesn't even know you, but that's the right. you that she met. Um, right. It happened to me maybe a few years ago that uh, I received a hate letter in the mail and mm-hmm. it was shocking because the hate letter came from a family member who I thought loved me and that I was close to. And oh she goodness. had this whole other version of me that I didn't know. And that was upsetting, but it was also in some ways after, you know, after, weeping on my couch that I'm reading these things about me, it was illuminating because she saw me and saw things that we've, we'd experienced together as me being totally awful. And um, there was a book that I uh, self-published right before the Lou Norton books, uh, No One Knows You're Here. And I have a scene in which uh, the main character, who is uh, Saida McKay, who in my Lou Norton novels is Lou's best friend, she has a scene where she's being told that she is not as likable as she thinks she is. And she had no mm-hmm. idea that she was seen that way. And so I wanted to further explore that in um, They All Fall Down, just just perception and how people see you and how you have no idea that you're perceived in so many different ways. Yeah, unlikability is really subjective. It's not like you're either likable or you're not. It's, right. you know, people see you different ways and the things that that we either as human beings or as writers or the way our characters see themselves, like it's all very much, it's complicated and that's like what makes storytelling so interesting. Like if everyone knew exactly who they were and what they were dealing with, like there wouldn't be conflict <laughs> Like, that's where all stories come from is sort of that. It's a conflict. Yeah. I didn't have my um, first child until I was 33. And up until that time, you know, I'd grown up and gotten my degree and been a professional and published my first book. But as soon as I had my daughter, I became, oh, hi, Maya's mom. Oh, Mm. Maya's mom, can you do that? And all of me being this independent, career-driven, published woman was kind of tossed aside because now I was... Maya's mom, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. it, it was very uh, disorienting and, uh, and, and kind of funny at first because, you know, none of that mattered because these people knew me as the mother of this wonderful little girl. Right. So, yeah. 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 We, we all contain multitudes, I guess, is the, the lesson there. Um, 
I, I want to mention, I think it's so interesting that you were talking about um, the seven deadly sins and uh, your background as an English major. When I was, I think I was like a junior in high school, mm-hmm. we read the Canterbury Tales. Oh, I um, love the Canterbury Tales. Yeah, which also plays with the seven deadly sins. And I had this teacher who like, she was one of those teachers who really, really wanted to be liked. She wanted to be like the cool teacher. And so this was probably in like, 2000 or 2001 uh, and she had us watch the movie seven in school oh wow <laughs> and this was a catholic wow. school even oh so. sweet lord wow <laughs> which just seemed like, like looking back like that's crazy <laughs> even today that is crazy yeah, yeah. that was yeah. wild but yeah. that is um i don't know if it's because i watched that movie at a sort of a young age or because it was so weird that i watched it in school like that movie is like stuck in my brain like so many details about that movie are just imprinted in my brain it's a it was a great crazy one yeah it was a great movie and it was you know looking back that ending and i won't say what it was because there are people who still may not have seen it but mm-hmm. it was one of those unexpected endings and for for me with people knowing what the ending for and then they were none uh was it was a challenge for me to figure out you know, how I was going to end this, especially with a uh, first person point of view. Mm-hmm. So that, that was, that was fun trying to figure that out. You did it very well. Also, the ending is just amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So excited for everyone to read this book. <laughs> um, I am lucky enough to have read it a few months ago and yeah, just brilliant. Um, but let's, let's chat for a second about the, the differences between your series character, Detective Lou Norton, and Miriam. What do you think Lou would think of Miriam if they met? I think she'd be exasperated by Miriam, but I think she'd be amused in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, because she would, of course, she'd see herself in that. I mean, Lou is also a woman who's been wronged. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also has relationship problems. She's also been perceived as... Um, unlikable by her by her uh, colleagues Mm -hmm. um, even by some in her community so she would probably um, see herself in Miriam she wouldn't trust her as far as she could throw her but (laughs) she'd certainly understand uh, what she was about and what she was dealing with I think in some ways they may have been friends or um, yeah I could see them actually being friends and maybe if uh, parted because of how Miriam chose to deal with um, the antagonists in her life. But mm-hmm. I, I think in some ways they are like sisters from other misters in, 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 in many ways. Well, they, they do have the same, like in their core, the same spark, I would say. Yeah. But it pushes them to act very differently. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. For yeah. Sure. What do you think Miriam would think of Lou? I think she would like her in some ways, but I th- and would feel sorry for her. But I think she would say Lou was a wimp because why not uh, push back and act out at those who don't like you? They don't like you anyway, so you <laughs> might as well do what you want to need to do. I right. could see her also being exasperated by Lou for you know we go high they we go high when they go low type of thing mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah, would, miriam's point of view is they go low we'll go lower 
Exactly. Yeah. So again, I think she'd respect her, but then she'd be pissed off that Lou didn't take the low road every once in a while. Right. Yeah. I always like I like to think about like when writers have multiple series or you know standalone books, how their characters would interact with each other. Because I In think the it's, universe, yeah. yeah, it's so fascinating. Yeah. Like these these people are very different, but they've come from the same brain, you know, and I think that's really interesting, the different And I even have my characters like living in the same area, you know, Lou in the last book, especially was uh, investigating a house on the street where Miriam's ex-husband still lives. I love that. So they all are living in, you know, 90043, 90056 area codes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, you know, and that's where I live. And that's the stories I want to tell are the ones that I, you know, on the streets in the neighborhoods where I pass every day because those stories don't get to be told as much as they should. And like one zip code can contain lots of different kinds of stories. Holy cow. Yeah. 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 And that's one reason why I love Los Angeles because there's so many pockets and so many politics and issues. I mean, even within the black community, we have the class thing, you know, it's like, well, which, which supermarket do you go to? Do you go to the fancy one on in Ladera Heights or do you go to the one by the jungle? So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's even, even with us, there are different um, different ways of dealing with people and different issues and all the rest of it. So, uh, for instance, um, in our in our neighborhood, there's this abandoned lot, and all these kind of bootleg businesses get put up there. And lately, um, this guy who owns tobacco shops he tried to put a tobacco shop there, and the neighbors in that area, affluent black people, are like, "Oh no, 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 no!" And eventually his business had to close because, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't have tobacco shops in our neighborhood, even though three blocks down, there are tobacco shops and right. medical, medicinal, marijuana shops. and But, you know, you just call, cross a certain street and we can't have that. So right. I like delving into those types of dualities, even within the African-American community. Yeah, that's really interesting. And probably, um, like similar to not necessarily having the ability to go and write these really unlikable characters because you're so, you know, concerned with just getting people to read your books in the first place, like uh, writing about the nuances within that community is probably something that doesn't happen a lot in the world of publishing. Right. And there's a temptation to kind of explain all that Mm -hmm. um, in, in our stories, but I've kind of stopped doing that because one, it bogs down the story. No one likes a lot of exposition. So you right. try and um, explain as little as, as much as you can, as quickly as you can. But for some of that, I'm not writing for all the world. I'm writing some of those things for black character, for, for black readers, black women in particular, mm-hmm. kind of like an alert to tell them like, I see you and I get you, I am you and here's something. It's like an Easter egg in, yes. in video games yes. and in movies. So yeah, I, I, I do that kind of um, uh, a shout outs to, to, to black readers all the time. That is yeah. wonderful, yeah. Have you received like any pushback from publishing in terms of 
writing about this particular setting or writing in a genre that's been pretty white and men for a long time like you write books featuring black women set in a specific area like is that something that there's been pushback about not lately when i was first starting out and was trying to get uh, another book deal after my first book which was published in 2002 it was just eons ago um (laughs) back then i did have a hard time because um publishers wanted a certain voice, a certain black voice, mm-hmm. uh, a voice that sounded like Sister Soldier and very yeah. East Coast. And I was told, you know, my voice wasn't urban enough. It wasn't black mm-hmm. enough. Um, and I think that is because of misperceptions about what it is to be working class and living in Los Angeles. I mean, everybody right. sees pictures of our blue skies and our palm trees and can't understand that you know, for many of us living in these neighborhoods, those blue skies are filled with, you know, police helicopters sometimes. And Mm -hmm. the palm trees have bullets and tags on them. And a lot of the East Coast publishers couldn't understand how you can be poor and, um, poor and, and having a hard time with such a pretty background. And they saw, they see black and poor as Chicago and tenements and Mm -hmm. snow and trash everywhere. And while we do have um, trash, (laughs) it's LA is a pretty clean city. Even in some of our worst parts, it's not as, I think because of the space, we have so much space to spread out our trash. It doesn't look as bad as, you know, some areas. So I, I did have a hard time pushing against that. Um, now I think the problem is I, I, while there are more African-American writers than ever before, especially in crime, I think there is still, um, we have one, so we don't need yours, Mm. you know, that kind of thing. Or you may have sold some, but you haven't sold enough. And that's because a lot of the right, uh, people who read crime novels and mystery novels are white women. Yes. And sometimes they don't see you as a black woman with with experiences that are similar to theirs. You know, it's like, well, you're this and you live there. So I don't think I'd get what you're saying. When in fact, I think one, it doesn't matter because I grew up a black kid who read Stephen King. And there's Mm -hmm. nothing as far from my experience as people who live in Bangor, Maine. (laughs) But yet I still read it and loved it and understood it, right? Mm -hmm. And so one, that's a weak weak sauce argument. But two, I think part of the wonders of of reading is getting to know uh, things that are different from you and also seeing yourself in these characters that on the outside may be different, but, you know, very similar to what you're going through. For example, the Lou Norton novels. Yes, she's a black homicide detective, but she's also a daughter who has disappointed her mother by going into law enforcement and not the legal field as a lawyer. You know, she is a wife and then an ex-wife who's held on to this relationship that she should have let go a long time ago. You know, who doesn't understand that? Who doesn't understand... Uh, disappointing their parents. We all understand that. So yes, she may look different from you because, you know, 
her hair is different or her skin's darker, but she is you in so many ways. And I think uh, white readers have gotten a pass on that. I mean, people of color who have read nothing but white writers all of our lives, especially those of us right. who are lit majors, and are expected right. to write papers and do orals on how you know we understand these characters. And no one ever second guesses that. So I, I guess I'm just saying, you'll stop doing that. Just stop and yeah. pick up our yeah. books and, and, yes. and give us a try. We've done that all our lives for you. Do it for us. It's only it's, fair. It really is. It's like such a nonsense argument to to like sort of think, oh, as a reader, and it's also you have to separate like what readers do versus what publishers think readers do, which aren't always the same thing. Aren't always the same thing. No. Yeah. Um, but you know, like white readers will read books that are set, you know, like all of the Scandinavian noir. Like that's that's very different. Like, and yet those those authors and those characters are white so it's like oh but it's basically the same thing right. and it's like well <laughs> no it's always dark there what do you mean you understand right it's like always yeah. dark there and it's like so cold and everyone's an alcoholic and <laughs> like get it you'll you'll like read stories star wars and star trek and yeah accept all the weird sci-fi things about that but make one of the people on the ship black and then you want right. to right. there'd never be a stormtrooper who's black dude these people don't what the hell are you talking about yeah these, so, these species yeah. don't exist you can't say right. that people just like will sort of latch on to the these details of like oh well it, it's not it's not right to make this kind of change when it's like right do you even hear yourself job like, of the hut does not exist right? but you know you accept yeah. leia on a leash and job of the hut and all, it, it, i don't get it right i actually right. actually i do get it and a part of it is 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 well right it's like very deeply entrenched racism that like it's not like people who think that way are horrible people they don't even realize that it's racism that's motivating it's it. so entrenched in yeah. everything we do that you don't even know what you're doing yeah yeah, yeah. And it's a but really, you know, it's really a but shame. we will, but we we will still write our stories because mm -hmm. for me, I can't do math, so <laughs> writing is the only thing I can do. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, um, and, and like, and I and I love it. And there, there are people. There are lots of readers. There are thousands of readers who want to understand and want to know what's going on in this part of Los Angeles and what it's like to be. Um, a non-default character they want to they want to know this and so i'm glad that the readers that i do have um are picking up books not just from me but from attica and tayari and mm -hmm. kelly and all yes. these other incredible women writers who should get the glory that you know they're, they're getting so i i'm glad we're we're kind of turning the tide on that yes crime novels for like a long time I feel like publishing has been behind the curve and that started to change especially in like young adult books 
um, where they are doing such a better job of representing different identities. It's like amazing. It makes me really happy for the future. Right. <laughs> because yeah. like people are coming of age reading those books rather than reading like the books that we had to read that when we, we were write. coming of age. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so that's amazing. But like mystery has been even further behind that curve for so long. Which is so strange it's, because ridiculous especially because, for crime, you all write about our neighborhoods all the time. Right. And yet a black writer who writes the same book is not being published you know it's ridiculous it's It's ridiculous really fucked up because like white white writers have been able to sort of tell those stories for the entire history of mystery novels and it's not necessarily always their stories to tell they don't do it right and it's just really unfair that readers will read that from the point of view of a white character right but or a a black character a white writer writing a black character for instance my one of my favorite crime writers is richard price oh my gosh yes and richard Price. price writes he almost writes exclusively in his at least his earlier stuff black characters mm-hmm. and it's like well where's the black guy where's the black guy who's writing the clocker story is he right. getting published or right you know is richard price the authoritative voice on what it is to be black and poor in new york you know right that's really interesting that you bring him up do you think he does a good job of writing black characters uh i would say for me, I I think he does. Mm-hmm. I think he does. But I have I I read him a long time ago, mm-hmm. and my viewpoints back then have were different. For instance, I used to I used to love reading Tom Clancy back in junior mm-hmm. high school, yeah. and now I couldn't do that now because of my own change in politics and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So for what I read back then, I think he I think he did. I think he at least. Um, I think he he bought attention. That's my dog. If you're... <laughs> That's okay. She's, we love animals yeah. on this show. She's rubbing her butt against our hardwood floor right now. <laughs> so glamorous. Lucky. Yeah, we need to express her anal glands. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, congratulations. You're the first person to say anal glands on this <laughs> podcast. Oh, yay. Yay. <laughs> but I think, uh, back to Richard Price, I think he does... I. I think I think he does a, a a good job, and I think he's respectful in mm-hmm. in some ways. There are some writers who aren't and kind of take advantage of uh, their ability to. Uh, I don't know, I don't know. There well, are some who are more exploitative than Richard Price's. I don't think uh, he exploited it for the sake of I can do th- watch me do this trick. I right. think he was actually interested in what was going on in these in these neighborhoods and for these characters. Yes, and I also think that Richard Price is like a genius at characterization. Yeah. And he writes like really like fully fleshed out characters. They are not like cardboard cutouts, which is right. something you'll see white writers do a lot. Um, yeah. But like Richard Price is just like the best when it comes yeah, to sketching out what a person is what their internal life is like what their interior life is like um yeah i i'm always wanting to talk about him with people on this podcast and so far no one has been willing to do it so yeah it's exciting yeah he gets really good he gets a pass for that he and david simon get a pass because they do um write very character driven poignant black characters who 
are not just one or the other. Right. You know, right. they're complicated. And I love I, I love that and I appreciate it. I just want uh, African-American writers to be able to do the same and to get the same acclaim yes. for doing, you know, for writing their stories, you know? Yes. Yes, yeah. yes I fully agree. And I, like... I am just waiting for the day when like the second coming of Richard Price as a writer of color happens and I can buy that book and tell everyone to read it just because it's, like it's like, yeah it's slowly coming about I mean there's um Stephen Mac Jones in Detroit there's um uh oh Sean Cosby there's uh EA Amer yes so there's a whole kind of uh black male writing in mystery and crime that's happening now and of course you know there's gar anthony uh haywood there's mm-hmm. gary so i i i think we're having sort of a, a an awakening in in that and also an awakening in uh women writing cozies and noir darker things i tend to write the darker more profane <laughs> yes things. so do i <laughs> yeah and i that's just my sensibility and i remember back in the 2002s and 3s and 4s when i was trying to figure out my voice there were editors who didn't get that i could write you know these uh poignant things and yet crack a joke and they didn't right. get the dark humor the gallows humor that mm-hmm. all crime and mystery has to have and it's not because i'm making fun of the dead no, no. i'd never do that but there are humorous things about the people that you meet in 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 neighborhoods and in crime right. scenes and everything and that's how like characters or that's how people who are first responders get through the day is finding that humor yeah. Right, right. I mean, I'm, I'm a, a, a cancer survivor, mm. and when I was going through all of, you know, the treatment, I was also pregnant at the same time. Oh wow! But there were moments where my husband and I laughed about some of this stuff and laughed, and it's like, well, why are you laughing? It's like, because if you don't laugh, then you're doomed. Right. So, right. Yeah, you you, God gives you all these emotions so that you can deal and come out on the other side of it. You know, so the same with crime and crime fiction. You have to reflect the damn funny things that happen when bad. Yeah, it's really the only way we can survive. The world is, I mean, life is hard. You have to have to be able to laugh at it. That is for sure. The writer, I'm sure you're finding this, you know, trying to promote a book when so many bad things are happening. Part of you wants to not say, hey, I have this book coming out. Um, please buy it when people are living their worst lives and having yes. things. But at the same time, that's our job. We are right. there to help people escape. Exactly. From things. Books helped me escape from a lot of awful things that were going on real time in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's our talent. That's our superpower to at least get people to spend 30 minutes or an hour or whatever looking somewhere else. And then, you know, helping them cope with what's going on by being a distraction in some ways. Yeah, it's really like a a responsibility that I take very seriously. Like if someone is willing to hang in there and spend several hours in this world that I've created, like I want to tell the best story I can tell. I don't want to just have it be, you know, 
full of gloom. Right. You want to find moments of levity. Right. You want to find moments of like connection and like the good in people, even though we write about crime, which is a lot about the bad in people. Like no one wants to read a book that's just about the bad. Right. Right. We need some, we need some, some light and some levity in, in places. And that's a skill. I didn't realize it until, you know, starting to write and reading other books for, you know, now as a writer, you kind of read things forensically yes. to see how people do <laughs> yeah, their tricks. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it is a skill. There are some writers who can't balance like that. So I, 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 I love it. And I'm going to be writing stories, even if no one, no other ones get published ever. <laughs> I will still be writing because, again, that's my therapy in yes. horrible, horrible times. So what are you working on next? I am trying to figure that out. I okay. have um, a manuscript out right now, and I hope that gets picked up. And I'm going darting from story to story. That's, a, that's the worst part of not um, writing uh, your series there are so many possibilities. There's so many yes. bad things that are happening right now that are fresh material. And it's like, yes. squirrel, squirrel. Right. What about that one? Right. And so I think I've landed on something that is uh, close to me. And I'm actually kind of excited about it. So Ooh. I think this is going to be a story. And again, it's, it's um, mystery, suspense. Mm-hmm. And of course, another black woman lead. And, mm-hmm. another, and it's in Los Angeles. Of course, because okay. I know that city the most. Mm-hmm. And I hope next year this time I'll be finished with it. It takes me about nine months to, to write a book uh, and after all the drafts and everything. Right, right. So we'll see. Well, that is very exciting. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and talking with me today. Thank you. I had fun. Good. Good. And everybody, everybody, make sure you go out and grab uh, They All Fall Down, which is out now, and you're going to love it, I promise. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.